0: Malcolm Honlein is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update. Mr. Honlein, welcome back to JM in the AM. Well, good morning, Malcolm. Good to be with you. Good morning, and a happy, healthy, and sweet New Year. The Republican debate this week was uh, anything but sweet. <laughs> 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 Uh, I'll start with this since it seems to be the focus of the entire Jewish world at this point uh, Your reaction to the comments on Twitter by Ann Coulter And when you go to Twitter, by the way, I remind everybody in the older generation When you go to Twitter it means you did put a little bit of thought in I know it's done instantaneously and all that And someone could in theory you know, press that button uh, uh, you know, sooner than they want to But obviously it sounds in this case like it's calculated Your reaction?
1: She has, uh, it seems, some history of uh, making uh, comments about Jews or Israel, but I think this is really unacceptable. Uh, at the minimum, uh, an apology. And if she was trying to be humorous, it isn't. Uh, and the the uh, lack of outcry, I think, about it is really quite surprising because it's it's such a an outrageous comment. Um, I think it it really requires is, is the kind of thing that can't be dropped.
0: It's funny you say lack of uh, outrage, because I, I think on social media there was a lot of outrage. Maybe you're right, though, that in terms of leadership, there wasn't the outrage you'd expect.
1: I'm talking about a public condemnation, and the the uh, online reaction took about 20, uh, almost a day or two quarters of a day before it started. And and there were people who tweeted the comment immediately, more in shock than out of Outrage yeah and and you're right that there was more anger than as as it spread, but we don't hear the kind of public reaction that has been said about other groups. I don't think you, you would have had such a muted reaction
0: how did you know it's funny maybe it's not so funny, but it's interesting to uh, consider how many people who would have made a similar statement would immediately have been dropped by their employer. Um, would have been, as you say, you know, condemned much hard, more harsher than, more, in a more harsh manner than she was. What, what's the exception here? Why do you think she got away with it, so to speak?
1: I really don't know. I don't know whether people don't take her seriously and uh, therefore just
0: uh, and that could be. write
1: it off to something you know w- w- that certain people we see can get away with making outrageous comments that others and making the same comment would have been held far more to account, but. Frankly, we remember when uh, a secretary of state used similar language about uh, what to do to the Jews. They don't vote for us anyway. Right or, And the, the reaction is not one of uh, of outrage in the same way that I think it would be or deserve to be and would have been with uh, another ethnic or religious group.
0: Yeah. i oh, love Those to read love- that,
1: that the Jews get special treatment or... uh, uh, attacks on them are are evoke more of a response, they should take note of this.
0: Yeah, no question about it. That's true. You know what bothered me, and not that we should spend too much time on this because I know we're so far away from the actual election, but what bothered me is that it it seemed to me there were some really qualified people on that stage to be president. It just doesn't seem that those are the ones who are going to be in the, final, in the final mix at the end of the whole process.
1: Yeah, When you have uh, so many people on the stage at one time, nobody really, they don't have the opportunity for the real in-depth discourse. You saw flashes from different people, but I don't know if that's really determinant. And if, if somebody is not a, uh, somebody who can jump to the response, uh, then they you know, fall out of favor or, or appear not aggressive enough in uh, these kind of forms. And there are people who are not just capable of it. I, I won't say who, but there was once a really qualified presidential candidate with whom I spoke. And I said, you know, Americans want people to kill to be president. They want to see a fire in the belly. They want to see real determination to push everybody out of the way to, to become president. And, and he was just not capable of it. It was not in his nature, though he had every, on paper, every qualification and uh, human being was a, a, a wonderful person and the, the forum of of 11 people if you if you don't make a biting sharp comment that that gets attention right then you're lost yeah. and if you can make the most thoughtful observation
0: <laughs> you're ignored it gets ignored
1: <laughs> and, and but this is not a taste of their knowledge it's not really anything in depth where you you know, somebody will say something, you say, okay, but what does that mean? What is this amendment in the Constitution? How would you deal with it? What would you do to change things? How would you, you know, uh, 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 evaluate the current circumstances post the Iran deal, for instance?
0: Mm-hmm. It's it funny. Be- I'm sorry?
1: It all got short shrift.
0: Yeah, no question about it. It's funny because I was pleasantly surprised by the knowledge on foreign policy of some of the people on that stage, which was shocking, frankly but like i say we have a long time before we get to that by the way uh, I'm on the same topic but a little bit different uh we we saw yesterday donald trump he was uh uh he was the target of a question about uh, muslims in this country including uh, the the questioner's um uh, assumption that the president of the united states is a muslim etc uh, is, is there ever uh, look we we know you know, we know about the majority of people in this world, and we know about the majority of people who you know observe the Islamic faith. But we also know that there is a, you know, a large, maybe a minority percentage, but a large group that is quite extreme. Are we getting past the point that we're allowed to discuss that group anymore in the United States?
1: Well, there are those in, in, who impose certain rules of political correctness that uh, applies particularly to particular groups and. When it comes to identifying acts, not universalizing them and not condemning any group as a whole, but um, identifying, you know, certain trends or, or causes, causal factors, you're right that there are are limits on doing it. Uh, that is that's different than what the person said yesterday. Right. Um, but the you know, and when you're talking about a specific individual, but I think that the you know the general political correctness today does limit and people are intimidated and I have seen it directly and people have told it to me yep. that they are intimidated people in press or people in government uh, from sometimes naming the and identifying the, a, a perpetrator or, or background.
0: Do you view the invitation um, of the uh, uh, alarm clock student to the White House as a political correctness move or a Proper no, I think
1: that was just a gesture to a kid who was mistreated, and they were wrong in what they did to him. And that, I don't think, to get, describe any great
0: significance to it. Mm, yeah. Well, they were wrong what they did to him, but y- you I'm, I'm sure one side of you says that you understand the hesitation that somebody has to let a, a contraption like that into a school. And well, I do think
1: any kid who comes in with a, a backpack that's ticking right <laughs> security these days. But when a kid simply did, did what he did, invented, you know, put this together, was a, and wanted to show his teachers what, you know, his home project, uh, you know, that there has to be some distinction
0: made. In, in. Yeah. There's uh, there's some people, some members of the media, who are making a big deal over the neutral position that the Conference of Presidents took when it came to the Iran deal. Frankly, I don't know what choice the Conference of Presidents had, but whatever. You could elaborate on that if you wish. Any regrets? with how the conference approached this whole process over the last few months?
1: First of all, we're not neutral. And there was only one person I know who wrote something, and it's a complete misreading and misunderstanding. Uh, You know that uh, I and the chairman have appeared on media since day one and for 10 years before day one, making the case uh, about Iran, arguing it long before anybody else. And more intensely than anybody else, we had national task force in Iran, broad based to to bring everybody into this campaign against Iran. Uh, You know that we carried on the campaign for Iran 13 all over the whole world until we got them out, and especially about this issue of a nuclear Iran, which I first met Bush one in 19 in the early 1990s, maybe 1991, to talk to him about this danger. Um, So. We've been anything but neutral on it. What we did at the end is we issued a statement, and the the statement says, gives the history of where we are. It completely talks about the failure of this agreement, what's wrong with it, what the implications are for Israel, for the United States, for everything, if anybody bothers to read it. And we cited the fact that we did an intensive poll. Of all of our members, the 53 organizations, and it took a long time to get responses for some because there were many organizations that were on the fence or because of reasons of their own uh, and some because of legal reasons, did not take a position. Uh, But we finally issued this statement, 55% of the member organizations of the conference, which represents then the conference's view because it's a, a body of its organizations, Uh, 55% were against the deal and less than 10% for the deal. With the remainder, some issued statements of concern without taking a specific position. Others, uh, because they work in sensitive countries or because of other things, uh, uh, tax restrictions, do not take positions on specific legislation. So, number one, we're not neutral on this. Number two, what we were saying is now that we're getting to the day after, is to focus and not to end this campaign but that we have to reinvigorate and in fact yesterday had a meeting talking about the next stages in this effort and, and, uh, and secondly talking about the need to come together and that these reports of acrimonious debates and how the community is torn apart over this issue I think were all false and purposely designed to divide the community, weaken us the charges that APAC was a big loser and that others were are not true either, and people today are beginning to run. If anything, we have to remember that a majority, of the Congress, supported it. We had many members of Congress. We had everybody from the President and to and Prime Minister Netanyahu, Secretary Kerry. We gave everybody an opportunity to be heard. But the the outcome in the in the 55 to 10 percent, 55 percent to less than 10 percent, uh, was clear. And our efforts were meant to bring everybody back together to say that. We're going to have to face the future. We've got to be unified. We can't allow the appearance to be created that we are in this uh, very divided and paralyzed situation, which is what what much of the media was trying to do.
0: And I know it's only a week later, but it seems like that's already happening. It seems like there is already, if there needs to be some repair, it looks like it's already being made. Maybe it's because it's this time of year, or maybe it's because everyone understands and feels the pressure of being the target of a, you know, a nation that's about to have nuclear weapons but it seems like it, it, things are going in the direction you described
1: they are because people, we've made a, a really deliberate effort and our goal was not to you know, pour any more fuel on a fire because if, if there was something to be accomplished but when you know what the outcome is but people should remember the vote in the House and in the Senate was overwhelmingly in, opposed to the bill it was 58 42 in the Senate right. now because it was an agreement and not a treaty had it been a treaty the president would have needed 67 votes which is why he didn't go for it right. but he did go and because of the anomalies of the system could threaten the veto a filibuster and the veto etc so he, with uh, uh, less than a third of the House of, or the Senate he, he could have uh, overridden uh, he, he would have stopped an override of the veto and without uh, 40 votes um, and with 40 votes he They they, um, could threaten a a filibuster block, uh, efforts to overtake a filibuster
0: I wonder who gets credit in the White House for thinking of the strategy of agreement over treaty.
1: Well, I think that that was something they understood, that that with the Republican majorities in both houses, that would be very difficult. And I I think that they expected all the Democrats to line up. That was not the case, as you know, Schumer, Menendez, others, Um, Cardin. Mm but, but uh, so more so that the... the There's
0: one yes. more I can never... And then the
1: other thing is, if you look at the polls of the American people, that increasingly, they were opposed to it. The last one, I think one poll showed 20% support, vast majority of Americans, but all of the polls end up with at least two-thirds, one-third opposed to the, to the bill, having concerns about it, recognizing the realties, the, the problems with the bill. That's not a failure either, that the fact that the American people have come to this point... On a, on a piece of a legislation where, by and large, people are indifferent. As you pointed out, even some of the candidates are, are not knowledgeable and indifferent to foreign policy issues. Yeah. And it will force them at least to monitor, and I hope that Congress will take additional steps. There's a lot of things being contemplated, uh, that and other bodies as well. There are additional sanctions being imposed on, on Hezbollah and other groups that we we have a base now to... To, that a justifiable basis to, to take further steps, and, and members of Congress, I think, are going to be compelled because they, those who voted in support of the bill or in support of the filibuster um, are going to be held to account. Because if it fails, it's their failure as well.
0: Yeah. Um, well, with all this in mind, in terms of you know still fighting the uh, the fight and still uh, you know trying to keep the issue. Out in the forefront, when you hear that 22 rabbis are gathering in a rabbinic-led rally for a better Iran deal this Sunday at the United States mission to the U.N., you say, I assume, kolakavod, right? Go ahead and let's keep the issue out there. And certainly, if it ever leads to a better deal, thank God it will.
1: Absolutely. Anything that can lead to a a better deal, I think, is 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 beneficial. And we are all working on it. We are... Uh, convening our, our national task forces, our high-level groups that meet in Washington of the top experts. We've been in consultation with them daily and to see what steps can be taken. One of the issues obviously now is with the Prime Minister's upcoming visit to see to it that Israel gets uh, the arms and and some and compensation necessary for the change uh, situation, security situation, the potential of, of uh, Iran providing uh, much more sophisticated and, and greater quantities of weapons. And with the entry of Russia into Syria, perhaps uh, limiting Israel's ability to uh, take out some of those uh, transshipments, uh, convoys and, and trucks carrying uh, weapons, which they have in the past, uh, sort of missiles in particular to Hezbollah, now with the potential of, of a sophisticated uh, Russian uh, air defense system and with Russian planes and Russian troops and, and uh, them protecting many of the areas where the weapons are taken. Uh, this is a real game changer. So Israel is going to need a, a lot of things. And I hope that in the November 9th meeting between the president and the prime minister, November 9th it is? Uh, He's coming here October 1st to speak at the United Nations on October 1st. But they will, he will not go to Washington this time, he will just be in New York. um, And his home will be going back uh, probably after Shabbos. Uh, But then he'll come back in November and a meeting with the president has already been announced. And hopefully there a lot of the air can be cleared and they will come out and the important thing is that the message it goes to the countries in the region of us Israel solidarity, that whatever differences there were, were legitimate over a really important and serious issue yeah. that for Israel is an is existential issue.
0: It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM Dial Broadcasting Live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and on the NSN app. And I remind you, if you missed any of this conversation so far, if you go to the uh, archive section on the NSN app, go to the um, archive. Go to the um, uh, uh, go to the weekly update section in the archives section of the NSN app. And you'll be able to access it uh, literally minutes after we uh, complete this conversation. So, uh, this is how do you categorize? This upcoming trip to Russia for Prime Minister Netanyahu, is it uh, one of desperation uh, because he's got to uh, position Israel you know, properly now because Russia's uh, bringing their forces into Syria and has a very cozy relationship with Assad? Uh, if you don't want to use the word desperate, is it uh, you know, urgent? What is going to happen with this meeting between Netanyahu and Putin this coming week?
1: Well, I think the uh, I've already touched on some of the issues that are likely to come up, but this is, I would say, an urgent meeting. The, uh, the involvement of Russia, which is not because of Israel or aimed at Israel, it is aimed at um, protecting their interests, Latakia in particular, where they have their big naval base, but also because they want to shore up Assad, uh, where they, they are providing weapons and manpower. I think it could be a trap for them ultimately because i think the is could start targeting and killing russian soldiers and the situation can escalate but it it shows the freedom of action that he has that the united states which obviously opposes this can't dissuade him from doing this and that the um the the russians who don't have the resources people have to realize that the economic base of russia has shrunk so much that they can't afford to take on multiple fronts so it's likely that they will do less in ukraine and divert manpower and attention and resources from the ukraine to the um, to the syria to syria which is now their front issue i think ukraine they don't expect any major changes to take place they can keep some troops there be enough uh, with the influence of the, the people the russian-speaking people and the uh, Crimea is a fait accompli, they're not going to reverse it. So he turns his attention and starts flying in tanks, flies in uh, aircraft, builds an airfield, and the West sits there and can't <laughs> do anything. They're incapable of, of stopping it. And it's, a, it's a part of the deterioration of the relationship uh, between Russia and, and the United States in particular, and, and I guess the West in general. Here they sat together on the Iranian issue, the P-5 plus one. And uh, Russia, of course, is rushing now to sell stuff to anything, to, to everybody in the region, but even to Iran. And we know of deals that are being signed for airplanes, for other things that they are buying there.
0: You know, Putin was an interesting subject at the debate this week. And, you know, the opinions ranged from we should never be speaking to him to, you know, we need really good close diplomacy with a guy like that uh... what what's the real answer
1: well the answer is that that we made mistakes you know the, the placement of the missiles and we made mistakes in not standing up when when uh, we withdrew from when we turned our guns around i should say in in syria when we let the red lines always disappear putin saw that that there is no real opposition from the west that you can get away with it and that's when he made his decision to go into the ukraine He went into the Crimea, goes into Ukraine, challenges them. The West can scream and yell. And now everybody wants to negotiate with him. Everybody's talking to him. And European dependence on on the energy from Russia, which is very great still, is going to diminish. We know that they have other sources they're talking about. By the end of the next decade, they will get 40 percent of their natural gas from uh, uh, Iranian sources. They'll get it. Egypt will now be an exporter. Israel, obviously be exporting uh, as well hopefully so for for russia this this is uh, a move that a challenges but more than that exposes the west and uh, and he keeps showing the world that look i stand up for our friends i stand up as opposed to the west that does not mm-hmm. i stand by our friends and, and i've heard it from leaders saying look we might as well go with him because at least he's true to his word
0: so sir. so netanyahu goes to russia and knows that the Syrian-Russian relationship, Assad-Putin relationship, presents, and I know that I may be asking you to repeat something, but just to make it clear, presents what danger to Israel? If Russia and Syria were not aligned, how much better off would Israel be?
1: Well, first of all, because of the, the presence of their weapons and their troops, makes it more difficult for Israel to operate. And most importantly, because Israel's need to prevent the transfer of weapons they need freedom of action. That will be curtailed, not eliminated, but certainly curtailed. And the idea that Israel would have to land troops in order to take out some of the sites in areas controlled by Russians or which Russians are operating.
0: Is this negotiable? You know Netanyahu. You know Putin. Is this negotiable where he can get the point across that that Israel may need access to certain things?
1: Well, I think that's why he's going there yeah. and why Bibi's going to, to, to Russia and one of the issues that, uh, or the key issue that they are going to be talking about, I think the the um, you know the idea that Putin, who keeps touting his closeness to the million Russians in, in Israel and to the and, and to Israel, uh, has repeatedly taken steps, and including at the United Nations, where which are not friendly to Israel. And this, this is, of course, a very serious move because it, it comes so close to Israel's border and Israel's direct interests.
0: Has there been any attempt to uh, inspect anything in Iran in the last few weeks while this is all going on and everybody was so distracted by what would happen in the United States Congress? Well, yes, there is
1: still the IEA is in negotiations with Iran. They're waiting for the information on the PMD, the, the past military developments, which is essential. For establishing the baseline against which you measure, where they, what other things they've done, and the getting the information about their um, uh, what, what 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 kind of development there's been on the nuclear front, the weaponization, etc. Uh, there will be requests about Parchin. Uh, the I E A is due to report in December, which will be a critical report uh, about uh, where Iran is at, what what they've achieved. But there there will be other reports in the interim. So, yes, they're they're supposed to be reporting, and the West is supposed to be working with them on dismantling some of the sites, on on revamping the Iraq reactor, um, and, you know, all of these things. And you know that Iran is not going to deliver. They may initially on some of this, but the idea that uh, they don't have to allow inspectors in to some of the sites, as was originally uh, promised. And, and you see the the violations already taking place that Suleimani has made a second trip to Russia already, Suleimani being the head of the Quds Force, who was under sanctions, is not supposed to to fly internationally. And um, the Russian ambassador in London tweeted that Moscow's not in the regime change business, meaning that people who have been pressing them and saying, well, the Russians might be willing to abandon Assad. and And... You know, they all point to this and say, oh, you see, this is Western gullibility again.
0: <laughs> I'll tell you, it's, uh, they, they're, the, the postponements and the genius that they have of postponing every inspection and every type of uh, intervention by the West is just brilliant to watch. Very clever. But
1: look at the things that have taken. Mahan Air, which is an a, a, a airline in Iran. Uh, Is flying into all sorts of places in Europe have broadly expanded their European connections and those in the Middle East it's still under US sanctions they bought new wep- new planes they're they're flying openly into Damascus with weapons with personnel with other things in addition to making deals in Europe and and continuing their their activities so the armed shipments which are a violation of Security Council Resolution 1747 of um, uh, Security Council Resolution 1929 uh, all this just goes by the wayside as they support Hezbollah in Syria with, uh, and these uh, and bringing weapons to terrorists it's, it's uh, you know and it's done blatantly this is not something that yeah. uh, that is a secret
0: that's what makes it even even worse frankly um, and that it's you so
1: see that Iran releases 5 former uh, high uh, al-Qaeda people, three of them members of the Shura uh, Council and uh, well-known terrorists, letting them go, which will mean certainly an increase in terror, and some of Iran's neighbors and others are very much concerned about it. But they did it, it turns out, because they got back somebody, an Iranian official, who had been captured in, in Yemen, and they make a deal. They allow these terrorists to go. And it could have a significant impact. Yeah. And this is, um, you know, this is really very serious stuff. It's not, uh, you know, uh, the release of five key plotters of terrorism. It's not just operatives. And uh, you saw that Pat Meehan, from a uh, congressman from Pennsylvania, right, trying to get legislation to get the administration to okay in the United States uh, um, to the okay funds, the court decisions right. that. Gave forty-three and a half billion dollars to the victims of terror in the United States to the families of uh, Iranian terror, and not one nickel has been paid. And now it looks like this deal may cover for them, and it will not be collectible.
0: <laughs> it's unbelievable. And by the way, call like vote to him. He has uh, he has kept track of every um, family that's deserving of funds from uh, from Iran. Uh, and if
1: you notice that the negotiations, according to reports now, started in 2011 when Ahmadinejad was the president of, of Iran. It didn't start because, quote, these new moderate uh, leaders. Yeah. And this is coming from Iranian sources who published this um, during this past week. And they talk about uh, the, the, the head of the IEA of, of Iran, the uh, Iran Atomic Energy Organization, uh, Ali Akbar uh, Saleh, who, who was then the foreign minister under Ahmadinejad, he said the work on the talks began two and a half years ago in 2011 uh, after obtaining the Supreme Leader's uh, approval and that the Omani Sultan Qaboos uh, came to, uh, as a mediator on behalf of the United States uh, and they told him we want to solve the nuclear issue and, and, and lift sanctions in six months. I mean, it tells you what's really been going on and how long this thing has been cooking yeah. um, behind the scenes.
0: Tell me about the boycott of Israel from Reykjavik, Iceland.
1: Well, the city of Reykjavik, the capital of Iceland, is, has announced a, a boycott. It's, it came from the city hall. The government of, of, of Iceland has renounced it and said this is just theirs. A Supreme Court uh, lawyer said the move is. is unconstitutional and goes beyond the city's role as a municipality um, and said it really has no bearing and others uh, took them because he said they're not boycotting China over Tibet or other many other situations so it's again symbolic right uh, but significant as another expression of the BDS movement which is growing The, the fact that the Europeans are talking about labeling products from the West Bank which I've talked about it here for so long because it really is significant. It's not only a first step or, or another step to, towards a real, a major boycott of all Israeli products, but it singles out Israel for discriminatory action. It makes it, it, it gives the impression that you can have open season on Israel. All these other countries get away with mass murder, torture, human rights violations. Iran, Barosham, I mean, the the head of the line on, on all of this, and and here, Israel, which is doing all these great humanitarian things, and and for no real uh, reason, they, they take advantage of the situation on Al-Aqsa, which I'm sure we'll talk about, and, and try to exploit it. And when a country is simply trying to have law and order and people of all faiths being able to have access to their holy places, and you have people who want to restrict, who don't recognize the right of any other group, and then the West falls in line and only talks about you know, holy to the Muslims and forgets about Christians and Jews and everybody else.
0: Yeah, do you see the figure? I, th- I think I read one and a half million children now are targets or have been, or whose lives have been altered by Boko Haram at this point. I think it was one and a half million, I th- or, or some staggering And, and I would bet
1: that it is true, and it's, it, and it's an expanding influence. And again, the world hardly pays attention yeah. to the horrific acts of these Islamist terrorist uh, uh, organizations, um, and and they dismiss, you know, the rock throwing terrorists as, you know, in as, um, <laughs> you know, ch- youths engaged mm-hmm. in, the, uh, what was it? The, the New York Times used the term "rite of passage." Rite of passage. They kill people. You saw that an Israeli died on the, uh, on Rosh Hashanah.
0: Alexander Levlovitz, sixty-four. Army? Alexander Levlovitz, sixty-four years old, killed when his car crashed into a light pole after being hit by rocks.
1: And he had his two daughters in the car, and and God forbid it could have been even worse. But it's not the only case. And they're, they're not throwing rocks. They're throwing boulders. They will line up by the side of the street, and many of these are, you know, young men, strong young men, and they can throw a boulder through a windshield which in itself can kill people, but it yeah. certainly makes it impossible for a guy to drive. It goes off the side of a road.
0: Well, with this episode that you cited, and of course you mentioned Har at the Temple Mount, and uh, all these days of rage that are being called for, is Israel now in an intifada without officially being in an intifada?
1: Well, I asked the same question yesterday of uh, Israeli police officials and others, and, and they say no, that it's restricted to this area. It's not happening in Nazareth. It's not happening in other cities. If God for, and the police are acting in a restrained way because they don't want somebody to get killed, that will set off be an excuse for them to set off. But this is being inspired by Abbas himself. This is the partner everybody wants Israel to negotiate with. When he is himself talking about that, they that um, Israelis have no right to desecrate uh, our holy sites with their filthy feet. That's the words he's using. Uh, and but it also, he said, Al-Aqsa is ours, and so is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. So it's not just Jewish feet, it's yeah. Christian feet as well.
0: Yeah, of course. And that
1: he's going around the world. He incites King Abdullah of Jordan, who goes to the president, goes to the United Nations, goes to other friendly uh, Arab countries and from Morocco to Egypt to get Saudi Arabia uh, worked up because, you know, this is an issue that appeals to their people when on the Internet they, they keep saying Al-Aqsa is in danger, Al-Aqsa, you got to rally for Al-Aqsa, Al-Aqsa is ours. And uh, you have to save Al-Aqsa, and the PA is promoting uh, this idea. Some of their uh, official uh, dailies and websites have been uh, have encouraged to continuing throwing rocks at Israelis and, and to defend Al-Aqsa, and they do it also in advance of the UN sessions every year, so that when Abbas comes here, he gets a sympathetic response, he can get resolution to get his flag put up at the United Nations. I mean, all these things encourage them because they see there's no point to peace negotiations. You get what you want by by being uh, uh, hardline and, and resistant. And you inst- you instigate violence, even in a controlled way, in, a, in an area that is very sensitive, in order to, to rally everybody and, and force them. And there's a resolution that was supposed to be passed late last night. I'm not yet seeing the final language. But it's not one that, that takes into account the, the real Jewish interest there and that this is the number one holy site to Jews in the world. Resolution
0: meaning U.N. resolution, you mean?
1: A, a U.N. resolution, Security Council
0: resolution, yes. Um, uh, final word about the U.N., uh, aside from the flag decision and all other symbolic stuff that we all love to follow, uh, anything else we should know about U.N. week next week and what to expect in terms of the PA, Israel, etc.
1: Well, the first thing to expect is traffic jams. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> be prepared. With the Pope coming, with yeah. the U.N. session, it's going to be a mess. So subway or stay home. <laughs> but, the, yes, I think we can expect um, the usual tirades against Israel. Uh, I think that the uh, prime minister will be coming at the end of the session. There are two sessions, actually. There's uh, two conferences, so many of the world leaders are only coming for the first, like Merkel and others. Some are coming only for the second. Some are coming for both. Uh, but uh, I think that that you will see uh, much more heat, and th- there will be proposals. And we don't know yet if there will be a resolution of Security Council to try and set a time uh, time frame, or to otherwise uh, seek to promote uh, peace talks. When Abbas has made it very clear that he's not interested right. and he won't. But that means only the pressure being brought to bear on Israel and the. The Double tri- triple standard applies over and over again, as usual. Especially in that building. So I would, I would look to that. I would look to where the my, there was a victory yesterday at the I E A in in uh, Vienna, where a resolution to monitor Israeli Israel's nuclear facilities was defeated. So that's one of those rare times that a UN agency Israel actually came out on top.
0: It's amazing that that always goes. That doesn't it always go that way? It's always gone that way, right? It has. Right. And, uh, uh, and I'm sure But we shouldn't take it lightly. Uh, what's helped? I'm sorry?
1: I think uh, the United States helped. Right. Others. Right. But, there are, but other countries have an agenda in this as well, why they don't want to see it spread because it will apply to others, too. Right. Um, All right. So I think the United Nations agenda is going to be a very full one. We're going to see numerous attacks. And uh, the fact that they could vote uh, to have the Palestinian flag, and you're going to see a ceremony where a boss raises the flag, you know, not going to be happy.
0: And that's for sure. All right. Uh, thank you very much. Igmar in Easy fast, and uh, we'll speak again next week.
1: Scratch the
0: surface so we'll have to talk next week. <laughs> we certainly will have to. Aware, but, uh... Every week we hardly scratch the surface. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update Fridays here at JM and the AM.